not. No, good to see everyone. Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. And I'm going to read, follow along as I read. And it reads, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. All right, pray with me. God, this Christmas season, as we reflect on the birth of Jesus, may you help us see and understand the truth of the Christmas story. And may it help us experience true hope, true joy, everlasting peace, and love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last Christmas was the worst ever Christmas for my family and I. The day before Christmas Eve, we drove up to LA, Los Angeles to spend Christmas with family. Um, a, a few days before our road trip, we noticed one of our three kids um, developing like flu-like symptoms, all right? But um, in spite of that, we decided to still go, hoping the cough, runny nose, and shivers would be um, nothing serious, and she'll eventually get better. But the symptoms only got worse. That night, night before Christmas Eve, at a family's home, um, she woke up crying. We ran to her room and to our horror, we found that our daughter had vomited everywhere on her bed. We cleaned it up, put her back to bed, hoping that she would finally get some sleep. She was coughing over and over and over again, and guess what happened? She vomited again. That night, I decided to stay up with her in the living room to take care of her. She had this chronic cough, and she kept herself up and everybody up all night. Her illness was so bad, we just couldn't stay. 
We ended up driving back down to San Diego on Christmas Eve. Um, we went grocery, we went to our nearest grocery store, got some chicken and got some whatever we could find to try and celebrate Christmas. Um, I love Thai food a lot. And because I've loved Thai food, I was like, I'm just in distress. I just need some Thai food. And so we found <laughs> we found the closest Thai restaurant. We went, got some Thai, we got home got ready to eat, and it was the worst Thai food I've ever had. <laughs> For our family, it was probably the worst Christmas ever. So this episode, right, from our life has always been for me a reminder that for many people, right, and for some of you in this room this morning, the Christmas season is not the most wonderful time of the year, but the most horrible time of the year. While Christmas is known to be um, the season to be jolly, it can be for many a source of heartache, heartbreak, grief, sadness, worry, and fear. Um, psychologist Adele Ryan, she writes this. She says, for some, the holidays are nothing more than bar humbug. They find the nonstop loop of Christmas carols anything but jolly. They are ready to strangle the next person who sings, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Be careful when you go around singing. We wish you a Merry Christmas. She goes on to say, they find themselves wanting to knife the blow-up illuminated Santa. They grit their teeth and clench their fists at holiday gatherings. And she goes on to say, then there are those whose light has been dimmed by circumstance or fate. These holidays serve as reminders of what once was. There is an empty seat at the table. There is a loved one in a dangerous place. There is a nervous wait for the test result, the lost job, or the foreclosed home. For some of us, Christmas brings to mind memories we've been doing, working hard to forget throughout the year. At best, the holidays will numb bitter memories for a while, and be a band-aid that only gives temporary relief from the difficulties of life. Another author said it this way. He said, there's nothing terribly, there's something, he says, there's something terribly wrong with the world. On the one hand, it's full of wonder and joy, family, food, and festivities. Christmas can be genuinely heavenly, a reflection of the love we were made for, but at the same time, even on the very same day, it can feel like hell on earth. And even if you love Christmas, and the holidays are the most wonderful time of the year, there's always this niggling feeling during um, the celebrations that after the excitement of Christmas, when it's all over, when the decorations are taken down, when the family are all, all leave and head back home, when the post-Christmas period begins, 
going back to the regular mundane routine of everyday life is enough to cause what is known as post-Christmas blues. And so if Christmas, all right, has the potential to have a negative effect on us, the question is, is there a solution? Is there a way for those who dread the holidays to somehow appreciate it? And is there a way for Christmas to be life-giving even after the holidays are over? And so for the rest of our time, this is what I want us to explore. Um, From this well-known nativity story, we will see how Jesus can offer you an even better Christmas than the commercials offer. And the promise is this, what Jesus offers will still be there after the carols are muted, after the lights have been put away, and after family are long gone and not around anymore. Whoever you are and whatever is going on in your life, the first Christmas, which we're going to be looking at, can meet you where you are and provide you with enduring hope, everlasting joy, unexplainable peace, and unconditional love. All right? And so look back at uh, um, verse 18 of the first chapter of Matthew's gospel. Look at what it says. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. There's a lot going on here, okay? But let me point out some obvious things that stand out, okay? And the obvious thing that I'm sure stands out to you guys is that the first and real Christmas began with a scandal. Mary was a small town girl who was probably 14, 15 years at the time. Joseph was older and a carpenter by trade. They were engaged and planning to get married about a year from now. But the excitement surrounding their engagement came to a screeching halt when Mary began to experience fatigue, food cravings, nausea, vomiting, and all the early signs of pregnancy. And so, after taking a pregnancy test, they were shocked. (laughs) They may have had them back there. You never know. Having taken a pregnancy test, they were horrified to find out that Mary was pregnant. And so, in a culture where sex before marriage was a violation of the law, Mary found herself in a lot of trouble. And to make matters worse, Joseph, right, her fiancé, was not the father of the baby. Today, when anything like this happens, it may probably raise a few eyebrows, cause gossip, but that is about it. But in first century Jewish culture, where engaged couples were viewed as husband and wife, where they took marriage seriously and absolutely 
despised adultery, sexual unfaithfulness. They despised it so much that you could get stoned to death for it, right? In a culture like this, this right here, what's happening with Joseph and Mary was hugely scandalous. And so Mary and Joseph find themselves in the center of a scandal. And so now, imagine being Mary. Imagine the fear, the anxiety she's experiencing as she considers the scandal and disgrace, the stones that might be thrown at her, the husband who might leave her, the stigma she might have to live with for the rest of her life, the isolation from her faith family. From now on, she's destined for a life of struggle and loneliness and a possible death sentence. Imagine being Joseph. Imagine what he's going through. There aren't many things more humiliating or that makes a man really angry than your girl cheating on you. No matter how sincere Mary was or how much she swore she hasn't been with another man, at the end of the day, there's the bump. She's pregnant. And the only logical explanation is that she's been with another man, she's been unfaithful, she's been sleeping around, and this all puts Joseph in a very, very difficult situation. Because if he ends up marrying her, people are going to do the math and realize that she got pregnant before they were married. And because of this, they will both be shamed and socially rejected. The other option he has is to make Mary's condition known publicly. But the problem with this is, if he does, she'll be stoned to death as an adulteress according to the demands of the law. Men, if you were in Joseph's shoes, what would you do? Here's a woman you've loved, you've made a commitment to, that has just told you. She's pregnant, but she's not been with another man. Even more important, what does Joseph do? Look at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. What a standout guy. What an honorable man. This decision was so wise. Um, it protected his reputation and definitely saved her life. Look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so as Joseph is thinking through um, how he's going to communicate this whole thing so that his reputation is protected and her life is saved, um, an angel appears to him in a dream and basically tells him that everything Mary has told him is not a lie, but it's all true. Her pregnancy has come not from a human being, but from God through his spirit. The angel then goes on to reveal the identity of the child. First, the angel instructs Joseph to call the child Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Next, Matthew, who's the author, quotes an ancient prophecy and says that everything happening right now is actually the fulfillment of an Old Testament ancient prophecy. Look at the prophecy in verse 22. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And this is what God had spoken through the prophet. 23, behold, the virgin shall receive, conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In other words, the human life growing in the womb of Mary was not only a miracle brought about and performed by God himself, but the baby was God coming to live in human history. This baby would be human. Mary was his mother, but he would also be God. Verse 24 and 25 says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. What a standout guy. Have you ever considered how you would respond to a teenage girl who became pregnant and then said, God did it? Imagine being a Jewish citizen living in the times of Mary and Joseph. Imagine how ludicrous it must have sounded to hear about a young girl who went around saying, I'm pregnant, but it's okay. I'm still a virgin. I don't know about you, but every time I think about this, every time I think about all of this, I'm left scratching my head, trying to wrap my mind around the fact that the God of the universe who knows and controls everything, became a baby who needed changing, burping, feeding, all of that. It blows my mind every time. Of all the things that Christianity proclaims, the virgin birth has to be one of the most astonishing J.I. Packer, who's an author and Bible scholar, puts it this way. God became man, the divine son became a Jew, 
the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like um, all other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. The virgin birth is indeed astonishing. But yet, there are lots of other things that blow our minds, right? Like the fact that light can travel from here to the sun in 8.3 minutes. That's a speed of 186,000 miles per second. Whatever that means. But it's mind-blowing, isn't it? Lots of mind-blowing things, like the fact that human, I found out that the human teeth are just as strong as the shark teeth. Did you know that? The teeth you have are as strong as shark's teeth. Is the next time you're swimming in the ocean and there's a shark swimming with big teeth, you need to go, ah, my teeth are as strong as yours, you know. Or even the iPhone and mobile device. Have you ever, like, thought about how amazing they are? Like, we're just walking around with these devices and touching screens, right? And looking in it and just, like, talking to people across the world. Like, it's mind-blowing. All these things and many more blow our minds and leave us speechless. But I believe their awesomeness do not compare to how the Creator God traveled from His throne in heaven to the womb of a woman in Israel. We'll never fully wrap our minds around and understand this miracle. But according to the Bible, according to legit and countless eyewitness accounts, it actually happened. God came to earth as one of us to live in the world he created. So this is a big question for all of us this Christmas. If this is all true, then the obvious question is, what does it mean for you? If Jesus is really God come to earth through Mary, if all of this is legit and is true, what does it mean for you? This is a very important question for you to reflect on because if he is, Jesus is who he said he is, then you would be a fool not to devote your entire entire life to him. And if he's not who he said he is, then you should absolutely just run from him and ignore him. But no other response makes any sense. Either he's God or he isn't. C.S. Lewis, right, you all know, British author, yeah, to the Brits, (laughs) behind the Chronicles of Narnia, in one of his classic works titled Mere Christianity, presents this challenge. He says this, a man, listen to this carefully, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a porched egg 
or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can, call, you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The greatest challenge for us this Christmas is not to make sure it's stress-free and restful, but to pay attention to what was going on behind the scenes at the first Christmas. And that is how God came to earth as one of us to live in the world he created, not to primarily just live in it, but to die for it. I don't know what kind of year you've had and what kind of Christmas you're expecting. You may be super excited and looking forward to an awesome Christmas with friends and family, or you may be dreading the holidays and can't wait until it's all over. Whatever Christmas you're expecting, the surprising truth behind the birth of Christ offers you an even better Christmas. So whether your present experience is of sadness or joy, use this Christmas to pin your hope, not upon a change in your circumstances, but upon the great hope for the future, Jesus Christ. Last week, my wife came up to me and said, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And I was like, Huh, I don't know. I've changed as I've got older. If you would have asked me when I was eight years old, I would have knew exactly what I wanted, okay? It's not that old age that has made me not know what I want for Christmas. It's just my personality. I'm just like, I don't know what I want for Christmas. My wife on the other time, on the other side, sends me an email with a list of everything she wants. And says, pick a few and surprise me, you know? <laughs> if you was to ask my son um, what he wants for Christmas, he would tell you. He knows what he wants. He would say, I want Legos and a watch, okay? If you was to ask my daughters what they wanted for Christmas, they would be like, we want more dresses, more Elsa dresses, all of that. And I'm sure some of you guys know what you want for Christmas. If you was to ask the student who just worked really hard doing their finals, Okay? Some of you will be doing your finals, right? If you ask that student what they really wanted for Christmas, they would be like, I just want to, like, pass and get good grades. All right? <laughs> there you go. That was for you. <laughs> but if you were to ask maybe the cancer patient what they want for Christmas, we have an idea what they would ask for. If you was to ask the spouse who is grieving the loss of the love of their life and about to experience the first Christmas without them, 
what they want for Christmas, we know what they would want. And if you were to ask the military wife whose husband is on a lengthy deployment what she really wants for Christmas, you know what they would want for Christmas. And so, what do you really want for Christmas? So many options. But what would be the one gift that will satisfy what you most crave? And the irony is, even if we obtain this ultimate gift, this thing that we really want, at best, it will only make us feel happy or proud or necessary for a while. Most of the gifts whether material or whether relational, whatever they are, don't fully last and satisfy. They just cannot give us what we most crave. So my encouragement, my, what I really want you to think about is this Christmas can give you what you've always wanted. Okay, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, wherever you are, this Christmas specifically can give you what you've always wanted. And it's not by looking to Christmas and all the festivities, enjoy them, they're awesome, all right? Sorry if I sound like I'm being a Grinch. I'm not, just enjoy Christmas. But... Don't only look to Christmas, but beyond Christmas, to the return of the one who came at that first Christmas. There has never been a better Christmas present than God's gift of his own son to be the savior of the world. Thelma Howard was an American maid who worked for Walt Disney. Every Christmas Eve, Walt Disney gave her a piece of paper in an envelope. Thelma didn't understand or know what it was, so she received all of these envelopes and simply added them to a pile under her bed. After her death, her relatives found the documents and realized that the pieces of paper she received as a gift each Christmas from Walt Disney were shares in the Disney Corporation worth over $30 million. Wow. This is my plea for you this morning and this Christmas. Don't make the same mistake as Thelma Howard made who missed out on a fortune because she didn't look carefully enough at her Christmas gifts. Jesus is God's gift to us and Jesus is far more valuable than any gift we can receive this Christmas. Even if you're convinced that Jesus is not who he says he is and this all doesn't, even if that is kind of your opinion, it's surely worth taking another look at him this Christmas. You have nothing to lose 
and you could have much to gain. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for reminding us through singing, through your nativity story, who you really are. You are God with us. And so this Christmas, may we look to you and may we grow to understand that you are the greatest and most valuable gift the world has ever known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. At this point, we're going to be lighting the fifth candle of Jesus. And the fifth candle represents Jesus, who is the light of the world, whose birth we celebrate, the one to whom all the candles point. The focus of the nativity is the birth of baby Jesus, Emmanuel, with us. Such a small baby as he lay in a manger, but this was the promised one who would bring redemption, redemption from that first sin in the Garden of Eden to any sin in your life right now. This little baby was born to die, to conquer death, to reign forever as King of Kings, to one day restore complete peace and hopelessness to the entire creation. This morning, we light the final candle to acknowledge and celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ.